Hello and welcome to the newest edition of Pro Pharma Talks. I know it's been a while, but we are back and we're talking about opiates and some new information that came out about opiates. But before we get into that, please rate and review and also follow our podcast. Hello and welcome to the newest edition of Pro Pharma Talks. My name is Alex Hernandez. Alongside me, as always, is Dr. Craig Stern. And for our topic today, we're going to talk about opiates. And there's some new information that Dr. Stern has made me aware of, and he wants to share that information with you. <laughs> so um, for, for our first question, we want to talk about how we know it's a big issue. So we already know that. But what is the scale of the problem? Well, we're dealing with... Um, an opiate issue that literally everyone has identified as being an opiate crisis. Right. Whether it's the Centers for Disease Control in the United States, whether it's in other countries, it's not just a U.S. problem. It's a problem that's occurring literally all over the world. And so um, I think it's fair to say it's a crisis, and the problem is it's growing. So it gets worse every quarter, every year, etc., and there isn't, unfortunately, a decrease. There is a decrease in certain areas, like in emergency room use, some in dental use, mm-hmm. but overall the problem is not decreasing. Right, and it's uh, interesting that you mentioned different countries because if you were to watch the media, you would see it as a United States issue. Like, it's easy to get drugs in the United States, but apparently it's a worldwide problem. Well, part of our problem here, and you're right, it is a worldwide problem, Mm -hmm. but uh, part of the problem that we have here is is that so many people are involved. People tend to point the finger that it's not my problem, it's somebody else's problem, but in fact, we created this problem. Whether it's pharmaceutical manufacturers who made the drug, whether it's drug wholesalers, whether it was um, uh, prescribers, physicians, pharmacies, and patients, literally everybody is involved in this process. So it's hard to say that um, you can limit it and focus it. Just recently, there was a case against one of the largest drug wholesalers in the country, in the United States, uh, against it. And more and more of this is coming about where people are beginning to, and Congress, the U.S. Congress, is going after manufacturers, uh, clearly Purdue Pharma that makes Oxycontin and some of the other narcotics, but it's too simplistic to say that just one group is the sole source and no one else was involved. There's enough finger points to go around. <laughs> there is, and at the end of the day, we're, we're faced with the following problem. Opiates are very effective drugs. They're very effective drugs when used in a very limited fashion. Right. When used in a very extended fashion, then they become a problem. So we have to separate out that when they're used for two or three days for an emergency room, a dental procedure. Where it is typically used. Like, where it's typically yeah. used, yeah. right? At post-surgical, et cetera. <laughs> what it but was then, designed to be used for. Yes. Right? <laughs> but then, and, and cancer, yeah, where exactly. it is, at, it is at a very important modality to help cancer patients. But when it's used outside that uh-huh. uh, confine and begins to use more maintenance therapy, then that's where abuse has occurred. And certainly um, physicians wrote too many prescriptions motivated by manufacturers who were making the product, uh-huh. by 
wholesalers that didn't put limitations on how much was being used, uh, pharmacies that weren't putting limitations on how much is being used, and patients who demanded more to what goes on. So nobody is at fault, and yet everybody's at fault. Right, right. So, and we, we've discussed opiates before in the past, and we've talked about the problem, we talked about where it comes from, but what has actually been the response to this problem? I mean, we're talking, we have many organizations and and physician organizations and just the CDC alone. What, what has been the CDC's response to this opiate crisis? The CDC, or Centers for Disease Control, has come up with a, um, a two-page uh, list of requirements on how to use opiates for chronic, non-malignant pain. Non-malignant meaning not cancer. Chronic meaning longer than a week's therapy that continues. And unfortunately, when it's used in high dose for a short period of time, the, the uh, data identifies that it becomes abusive over a long period of time. Okay. But the CDC has issued uh, a list of recommendations about how people are supposed to use it. So, by the way, have other countries. So, NICE in the United Kingdom, Australia has, has uh, uh, some requirements, and others have looked at this to try and put some ceiling on it. The problem that has been found relatively recently is that when doctors and pharmacists put these limitations and restrictions on, frequently they get into trouble because they're following it as a specific guideline and removing any particular problems that a patient may have mm-hmm. that don't meet those guidelines. Okay. So there have been uh, issues now where there's a relook at it to say, this is the guideline, but you still need to evaluate the patient, make sure the patient has appropriate care, but to put limitations on it so that the patient isn't abusing it. Like tell the doctor, you need to increase your quality of care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I mean, it, it's based... Yes. You would think a doctor would do that anyways. Well, you would, but, you know, doctors like everybody else, like like pharmacists, like um, clinicians of all sorts, look at this and they have, they're faced with a problem uh, of a patient and the patient says, I have pain. Uh-huh. And it may be indistinguishable from a particular site on the body right. or a particular reason. And so it is easier to give them some medication in order to try and stop it. But when it does, then clearly the patient is interested, the doctor is interested, patient may be talking to the pharmacist about it, and everyone is saying, well, it worked, so let's continue it. Right. But there's the threat. The threat is that you still haven't narrowed it down, haven't addressed it. And what happens is that in the long term, what happens is is that a pain therapy tends to cause more pain. Mm-hmm. Um, we, get, we get problems with what's known as allodynia uh, and some problems where pain management begins to eat on itself and you begin to have pain right. based on, on therapy, based on problems that you get from it. So... You, you in, in trying to make this simplistic, our problem is is that there are certain indications for which these drugs should be used, meaning opiates, in a very short period of time. That's where most of it should be. Right. If it's cancer, it's an entirely different story and needs to be addressed um, in order to deal with cancer therapy. But at the same time, if you're going to be extending out therapy and it isn't cancer, 
and it isn't some short-term issue like surgery or emergency room or, or dental, then there has to be a plan and it has to be reevaluated. You have to make sure that you understand what the goals are and when you're effectively going to stop it so that you don't give more and more and more and more, right. which in fact is leading to more and more of a problem, more and more of abuse, but doesn't necessarily solve what the original problem was. It just magnifies it. Yeah, and I think uh, part of the problem, I mean, if go with me if you will, it's this, this subjective view of pain from the patient's perspective. I mean, you, you got a doctor asking what's your pain level, and they usually have a chart. It's like either 10, really, really, you can't stand it, or one, it's not that much, right? Right. So when a patient has this view of pain that may be um, amplified, where it's not really that much, but they feel like it's that much, is there any way where research is being done to effectively be able to diagnose pain? No. I mean, there's mm-hmm. research going on, but the in answer to your question, yeah. there's nothing that adds another metric to diagnose pain and say that a pain of eight is really a pain of eight, whether you have it, I have it, M has it, or anybody else. Right. That isn't being done. The conscious issue of pain mm-hmm. varies, and it varies because different people have different perceptions. Uh, Somebody may have a very high tolerance to pain Mm -hmm. and be able to live with it to a degree. And someone else would see that as just totally disrupting their life, not able to handle the activities of daily living, and uh, finds that it's intolerable. if, If you look at the spectrum of this, cancer, cancer bone pain, is is perhaps the worst along the way however you have relatively short-term issues that can be addressed by other modalities you have surgical things um, kidney pain gallbladder pain things like those that are going to be dealt with one way or another whether it's surgical or otherwise or or some drug therapy in order to try and remove the the reason for the pain if it's short-term like a dental procedure, there's no reason that the pain should be going on for weeks at a time. It means that somebody's got to go back in and find out what it was, whether it was infection or some other problem that occurred during surgery. If it's uh, surgical, if the pain isn't resolved within three or four days, you begin to ask the question, what is the cause of this and what are you doing? Because drugs, uh, drugs... are not the panacea, right. understand that nobody's going to be on the drug 20 years from now for a surgery that happened yesterday. Right. Right? Um, and then finally, of course, is the whole issue of not just the metric that we use, because there is a certain amount, but you also have other testing. You can do urine tests to find out wh- uh, whether there is um, a still sample of opiates mm-hmm. uh, in the urine. You can do certain blood tests. Right. Um, certainly, compliance is an issue where you do kind of a brown bag approach and you say, here's the drug. You were supposed to take it twice a day. You started on this day. This is the next uh, time you're seen. Have you used the right amount of tablets that was expected? Right. And even today, there are take-back programs going on in the pharmacies 
where they're saying, look, you may have had the pain, you didn't use all of the pain medication for what you had, you stored it in your medicine locker, and now some of that has expired, um, the medication is no longer um, uh, uh, useful, etc. And so they have take-back programs where they're taking it back and um, they destroy it. Right. And there's areas that all of the chain pharmacies and independent pharmacies that take it back and store it. It's no longer the world right. where you take your drugs, you pour it in the, in the <laughs> toilet, toilet, flush yeah. the toilet, and it goes away because then all you're doing is feeding it to um, uh, uh, fish and everybody else uh, in the oceans that doesn't help them and Then you either. reach a whole other That's an entirely different problem. <laughs> right. And the, the reason why I ask that is, like, it, if you can effectively diagnose pain, you could effectively monitor the patient in a in a better way, and you can avoid over-diagnosing or over-prescribing pain meds. Well, you're right in one degree. You're yeah. right in one degree. Let's say that we have... It's just like saving the patient from themselves. Yes. I mean, yeah. let's say that there's a particular diagnosis that's going to take longer than three days or four days in order to resolve. Well, mm -hmm. um, fibromyalgia or some sort of serious uh, bone or, or muscle pain that's going to go on, um, you see them, you're checking for compliance, you may, have, you may do some sort of urine testing or otherwise to make sure that, in fact, they are taking it the way they say. Mm -hmm. uh, and then every time you see them, you're reevaluating. Last time when we saw you, it was a 7 on the pain scale. Now how is it? Is it a 6 or a 5? Right. Um, and literally as you see them, um, given that the therapy is working, mm -hmm. and if it isn't, and you readjust the therapy or otherwise to deal with it. But effectively, the real problem is, is that people are getting this. They're, they're talking about the fact that the pain never goes away and that they have it. Right. And so now there's significant discussion about alternatives, whether it's chiropractic or whether it's physical therapy or whether it's... Um, Mental health. Could be mental health. It could yeah. be a host of things. Right. But there's a whole armamentarian today that offers alternatives to drugs because individually, drugs are not the solution. Individually, um, you know, behavioral health or cognitive behavioral therapy, they're not the entire solution. Right. Um, and and uh, from a physical medicine standpoint, um, if it's something you can address, you do, and then the pain goes away. Right. If it isn't, and there's still a problem, then you have to start looking for what was the, the uh, uh, rationale, why is this happening, what's going on, and deal with it that way. But you're, you're, you're dealing with this as a progression. And you're asking, has the pain, even if you use the given metric for just you, not compared to me, but for just you, it was seven before, is it now six, is it five, is it four? Um, let's see some progress. If it isn't, and the patient continues, mm -hmm. then that's a red, a red signal. It's right. an alert that tells you something is wrong here. This needs further evaluation, whether it's sent to a pain clinic or whether there's further work. But you can't keep giving them drugs, and somehow you're going to solve the problem. Right, of course. So what what is the what has been the state's response? I mean, you you have individual states spread across our country and they all have different views on opiates i'm pretty sure so i mean what what has been the response in that realm is i mean 
to avoid getting political in any way. Well, it is political, mm-hmm. but um, whenever whenever government gets involved, clearly politics is also of involved. And then there's going to be a left but, and a right, and and, yeah. and all the discussion. But right. uh, states have taken it in different uh, ways, as you've talked about it. Mm-hmm. There are states that have been very firm in identifying that um, there are strict rules and that they deal with it punitively. So they're dealing with doctors, pharmacies, drug wholesalers. Um, some have even sued the manufacturers. Um, Purdue Pharma is, uh, is involved with several of these suits, etc. cetera. Um, the, the issue is to, where the states have gotten involved, is to put restrictions, punitive restrictions on particular providers. Right. They also have <clears throat> um, a lists of physician providers that seem through uh, state analysis to be prescribing more than others, mm-hmm. that puts them on a target list, and that target list then becomes something that is involved. Every every one of the major states has tried to put through some legislation to control it, but there's always a balancing act here because you put controls in, but that may not apply to all patients. And so then the question right. is, how is the doctor to deal with it when their patient doesn't quite fit in. So there are guidelines coming out of major medical associations, not just um, the American Medical Association, but subspecialty groups saying, we're gonna follow this, but here's the reasons or problems that we may have issues that we aren't going to follow or Yeah, and that's the right way to go about it. I mean, you have to put some kind of restrictions and of course it's not gonna be foolproof, but you have reasoning and you have ways to move forward from that. So I think it's a, it's a good idea. And also we've seen from just in-house from all the analysis that we do, um, I think it's the state of California that has that list of op- opiate or prescribers who can no longer prescribe opiates or are very limited. Absolutely. And, California and, has done that. It comes uh-huh. out frequently right? where they have a list of doctors that have been restricted where they cannot prescribe opiates. You're absolutely right. Uh-huh. Um, some other states have done that. California may be leading the way in that, but they're certainly not the only one. Right. Um, and that has put a, a total limitation on some doctors to be able to prescribe. Right. Um, typically, or hopefully, those prescribers, there's a lot of evidence that there are problems in what they've been doing and that they can effectively... And the reasoning is in there, too. Right, it, and they can clean yeah. up their act. Exactly. But if not, then clearly the state has made uh, some sort of a restriction, and you're absolutely right about that. The other part of this that's terribly important is that um, the uh, CDC, Centers for Disease Control, and others have said, okay, um, there will be... Um, this is the kind of therapy that's going to be done. If it's very restrictive, it's like uh, three to five days of therapy. They put a limit on the total dose, um, something right. called morphine equivalent dosing, of which you take all of the opiates and you convert them into morphine dose, and you say this is the limit, and they've uh, decreased that. In our own analysis that yes. we've done, yes. we've seen that there's a significant number of people, a subset of people, that have doses that are way too high. They're way above that. And they're not cancer patients. And they're not cancer patients. Um, And we've seen people that have gone on for long periods of time um, taking opiates. And then there's the other problem, which is also part of what 
CDC has recognized, and so have others, and we've seen it constantly in our data, and that is they're taking opiates plus a benzodiazepine. The benzodiazepine is a downer. Yeah. It's there to calm people down, maybe used as a sleeper, it may be used as anti-anxiety, it may be used even as an anti-seizure drug, but keeping seizure out of it for the moment, using opiates and benzodiazepines demonstrates that it's not just an opiate problem, but it's a combination problem. And that then also um, has led to some serious uh, cases where people have died and some other cases where this combination makes matters worse. And just that um, benzos and opiates together is a plethora of other problems. It has a coordination of care issue as well. It has a huge coordination of right. care issue. Right. One doctor prescribes opiates, another one prescribes benzos. Perhaps they don't talk to each other or otherwise. In the world of today with data, with analytics, certainly analytics that we do and, and uh, uh, others, um, where it's a constant issue to try and get coordination of care. Right. So that whoever the prescriber is, whether it's a nurse practitioner, a physician, a medical subspecialist, whoever, that there's some coordination of that so that everybody deals with it. Right. Years ago when managed care was first um, conceived of and, and developed and implemented, there was always a gatekeeper. There was a doctor who, who you went to, they were your gatekeeper, they were an internist, and they effectively knew what the gastroenterologist was doing, the cardiovascular doctor was doing, the, uh, the uh, dermatologist was doing. They had all the information so that there was some coordination of care. Right. In some health plans, that continues to be true. In others, there's a little bit wider variance where people can go to see multiple different doctors, either without approval from the primary care or if they do where it isn't quite clear what they're doing, that coordination of care becomes a problem because it adds to polypharmacy, which means you're taking a lot of drugs. It means that you can be on opiates and then at the same time take pharmacy other drugs shopping. that don't match. Maybe pharmacy shopping where a patient goes to multiple pharmacies to get the drug and then another pharmacy to get the drug and another pharmacy. But bottom line, you begin to deal with coordination that says that the patient is on opiates and they're mm -hmm. also on stimulants. They're also on benzodiazepines. They may be on muscle relaxants. They may be on a bunch of things that don't match. Right. Might be the wild, wild west of healthcare, huh? Could be. <laughs> Could be. And then you got your snake oil salesman, too. Right? Well, um, yeah, so any, any other final thoughts before we uh, end the episode? So, I guess bottom line for everybody right. is Emma's going to put – uh, some of the guidelines and CDC guidelines and others attached to this so that you have it. Bottom line is, is if you have pain, rather than being afraid of it, if there's a, a valid reason for it, figure that you get two, three days of medication, that's it, subject over. If you have cancer, totally different story. Then you need uh, you need the pain management in order to control what's going on. Right. Uh, and some pain management with cancer, once it's treated and has resolved, then you have no need to right. continue with therapy. And then, uh, in some other chronic conditions, understand that there are limitations to the dose, limitations to the duration, the type of opiate that you're using, etc. Right. And that requires that. The doctor, the pharmacist, 
uh, the nurse or otherwise, are all coordinating what's going on. They're watching, and they're watching the progress of it. And whoever has it, if you're a patient, you expect to see some improvement over time. If it's not improving, then everybody needs to know about it because it needs to be reevaluated and retested. Right. Thank you very much, Dr. Stern. And um, that's it for today. As Dr. Stern mentioned, we're going to put up some, uh, some. there's PDFs available, but th we're not showing anything that's top secret. I mean, you can see these things. You can go to cdc.org, I believe. Is I think so. cdc.org. Well, M will take care of that. Right, M? Our <laughs> producer extraordinaire. <laughs> and as always, you can go to ProPharmaConsultants.com. We have a free information page called RxInfoX. It's available to you. There's a ticker there that has drugs that I did. I put that together. That's impressive. I'm very impressed with myself. Yeah, that's very impressive. Yeah. If you're not impressed, please feel free to leave a comment below, and I can block you. Um, <laughs> anyways, if you have any questions for us or would like to get in contact with us, the, you can leave a message below, a comment below. You can leave a message you can send an email. We are, Our email is on our website, ProPharmaConsultants.com. And uh, we will have a new episode for you next week, maybe another CDC-inspired uh, episode about measles. <laughs> I've, been, I've been on them about that. We, we need to talk about that. Okay. We'll it's talk a about very measles. interesting topic. <laughs> Why is it a topic? Um, anyways, uh, we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this edition of ProPharma Talks. Um, just a little info about us. We are ProPharma Pharmaceutical Consultants Incorporated. We are a woman-owned consulting firm that specializes in healthcare consulting and analytics. This week's featured product is ProPharma's Comprehensive Medication Review for Populations. It is an automated review of medication that is linked to billing, EMR patients, and prescriber letters. CMR addresses the most significant issues with medication therapy. What is patient's therapeutic outcome? Are patient drug therapies effective? Are the patient's drug therapy safe? <laughs> For more information, visit ProPharmaConsultants.com or give us a call at 888-701-5438.